Welcome to Tranos and the Lived Experience, a podcast confronting current events, politics, comedy, and calamity, all from the perspective of a trans titaness. She's a verbal black belt, skilled in the art of roasting, the hellmouth, doomsayer, CEO of the Amazon position. Here's your host, Cameron Ellen Terrell. Welcome to Tranos and the Lived Experience. My name is Cameron Ellen Maharet Jarrell, a.k.a. Tranos. Say it with your whole chest or I will shame you in the public square. This is once again Tranos and the Lived Experience, the show that has absolutely no problem pissing off white saviors. Today's episode is called Shame the White Savior. And as always, the episode is brought to you by the meeting of music and marijuana. Today's episode song is Shame by Stabbing Westward. How fitting uh, Stabbing Westward. Huge band from my childhood, teenage years, to be more specific. Uh, for a long period of time, I thought Stabbing Westward and Nine Inch Nails were the same group. Uh, I apologize, uh, but I don't apologize at the same time. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by the strain Death Star. Uh, Death Star is a very potent strain coming in at a 19% THC value. It has a calming effect, very high THC value uh, for what it was worth back Back in my day, like 19% was like the paramount. Death Star, also known uh, as a strong indica marijuana strain bred from the potent crossing of Cincy Star and Sour Diesel. If uh, you live in Rochester, New York, Sour Diesel was said a lot, but you didn't really smoke it that much. It was just a name that was just assigned to things. But if you got to some Death Star, you really knew what you were hitting on. It's super pungent, uh, super strong on the nostrils. Uh, so strain not have the ability uh, to destroy a planet, but it does have the ability to put you into the couch. All right. Today's episode, White Saviors. So we're going to get into a little bit of the backstory on why this episode had to happen. I am a trans woman of power, uh, but at some point in my life, I was a black child uh, who had absolutely no power. And uh, I learned very early on that there were three kinds of white people. There were racist white people. There were indifferent white people. And then there were saviors. Uh, saviors come to you in your most down moment. They promise you the world. Uh, they are uh, seemingly very helpful to the open eye at first. They offer you all kinds of things. They try to like put you in a position to where you believe that these things are going to happen and they're going to help you by making them happen, by using their privilege. More often than not, they're not going to. See, I was... Um, less than a year ago in a very dark space, a very dark space dealing with uh, court cases that had to do with um, older jobs, uh, uh, having to deal with um, just perpetual transphobia and just my existence as a black trans woman, which we all know is hard. It's not something that you have to harp on. It's not something that you lean upon, uh, which is a, we're going to get into that a little bit later. Um, this person was brought into my life by a mutual friend of my foster sisters. And this person's great. My friend, my foster sister's friend is a great person. Uh, we've known each other for about 15, 16 years now. And they just kind of came back into my life and they suggested this person. And I was like, well, I'm a little weary because I've dealt with all three kinds of white people before. Um, I had just bought my first bus and like, I was having a hard time finding like help 
Um, I'm not um, mechanically savvy. So I didn't know the first thing to do with this thing. And I was trying to figure it out. And all of a sudden, uh, this person who I will not name during this episode, I'm pretty sure they're going to listen to it. And I don't care. Uh, they'll know who I'm talking about. Um, I apologize to the rest of you because at this point, it's a very uh fresh wound and i want to keep as much anonymity for that person's sake as possible even though i don't owe them shit uh, this person walks into my life and they have all these huge ideas about the things that they're going to help me with they're going to help me with the bus they're going to help me with my organization because i also run a non-profit organization that just had a teams of white people just joining it during the pandemic and joining it through the height of the black lives matter movement. And they were just kind of jumping ship. So I had already had my fill of well, well-worn, well-wished white people. Uh, and this person came in, they're going to like help me with a space. They're going to help me do all these things. They want me to do these, um, these tasks for them so that I can prove that I want it from them. Like things like uh, doing paperwork for them or uh, signing as a CEO for an organization that I had no idea what it exactly did. I had no idea what it did. I knew it had no idea what exactly it was for. Um, as things progressed, I started to realize little things. I started to notice little things. Here are the mage marks of a white savior. They will say all the right things at the right time, seemingly, but even even a seasoned actor gets tired and flubs their lines. The first time I realized I was dealing with a white savior was when I was asked about what my dream for my organization was, for my organization, the one that I started on my own. My dream for my organization, which is League for Equity of Gender in Our Own Neighborhoods, it's called Legion. We're out of Rochester, New York. Currently, we are operating with uh, uh, two people, uh, a, board, a board of two. Um, the, the, the thing was that we wanted to start like a district that protects trans and downtrodden queer people of color. There's nothing like that in Rochester. There's nothing of, of name. There's no part of the history of the queer movement in Rochester that has primarily protected trans people. There's nothing like that here. So we wanted to make this a district. We wanted to make this a, a series of um, outlets like outreach, employment um, uh, protections. We wanted to have a, a way to reference and also like referral uh, lawyers and, and, and help with like medical disputes and things of that matter. Uh, we already do some of those things, but we do them on such a small scale that it really doesn't feel like I'm making a difference, even though I try to every day. And this person latched onto that. And what they started suggesting was, oh, I can help you get those things through real estate. Now, we all know the history of Cameron. I don't like landlords. I think being a landlord is the most lowly thing you can be on the planet because uh, commodifying off of a necessity, a thing that people need to live, feels scummy to me. It feels scummy to me. I know people make a lot of money off of it, but at the end of the day, if you're making a lot of money off of it and you're not giving back to your community, you are just a capitalist scumbag to me. So I suggested, hey, I would like to start a safe space. I would like to um, uh, put into effect an organization that runs a nonprofit and a for-profit. And the for-profit will give queer people jobs because in Rochester, being a queer person of color, you're almost guaranteed to have been fired five to six times within your first year of transitioning. That's literally how it works. No matter what you do, no matter how good of a worker you are, you're going to defend yourself at some point and you're going to become the enemy. And then you 
end up unemployed and homeless and all of those things. And to stop those kind of things from happening, what I wanted to develop was I wanted to develop a space where we built tiny homes specifically for trans people. And the thing about it was like, what I wanted to do was build these things, figure out how we can make this a business that is a community run business, specifically the trans community running this business as a whole, not me making millions of dollars off of it, but us all being able to live and, and, and function together under a common, like a common banner, a common name. Of course, this place has to have an owner, uh, someone who's uh in charge of those things, I was going to, I was willing to be like, okay, so I would do that. But like, we have to understand that, like, I'm not, I don't have a business background, but I'm willing to learn those things. I want to learn those things as a group and we can all do this together. So what we were going to do was what we wanted to do was like start writing up grants and figuring out proposals to where we'd be able to start getting this thing off the ground, where we can get a building, where we can start building tiny homes on wheels, because those were the most easy to build because we don't own land. So um, after explaining that uh, to this person, they explained to me that a part of Densmore Creek, they actually owned. Oh, we'll get it set up for you. And we, I, I went there with her and we looked it over and we did all this stuff. And like, she kept telling me, oh, it just needs to be surveyed. Oh, it just needs to be looked at. And then we can start doing this thing here. And like, oh, what do you think about it? I'm like, I think this is great. I, I don't really understand how it fits into uh, the plan because it's literally just like land on a creek. It's an acre of land, like around a man-made creek. And like, I was really like confused by it. So I explained it to my sister and she was like, yeah, I don't really understand how that works. I was like, I don't either. And I was, as I tried to ask probing questions, my questions would be dismissed and how they were dismissed was I need to be more positive and, and more trusting playing on the fact that as a person who has been molested in the past, who has been harmed by adults in the past, who has been specifically harmed by white people who are, have been solely untrustworthy in my capacity that I'm being uh, too, uh, I'm withholding too much because of those things, because of my background. So that was the first red flag for me because now you're slightly using my background against me and you're making this thing that has made, that has protected me and helped me survive. You're making that uh, a character flaw. Now, we all know that I'm well outspoken and I have no I have no trepidations about standing up for myself. I have no trepidations about standing up to things that I think aren't correct. Uh, this is a skill that was constantly being like I was constantly getting pats on the back for from this person. And then it seemed like every time I, I used that exact same skill to push back on things that might have been happening or I might have been being told by this person that that was another character flaw of me. It was me, air quotes, always having to be right. Now, everybody knows that I am neurodivergent. I have executive function disorder. I have processing issues. So I ask lots of questions to make sure that I have an understanding of things. And in asking lots of questions, uh, a lot of the times the things that I was being told did not make sense. I was told that I would be working for a nonprofit and that I would become its CEO. And I'm like, how do you know that I'll be able to do this thing when I barely have a grasp on being the CEO of the organization that I started? It's all touch and go for me, because like I said, as a trans person, I never planned 
that my life would be centered around activism. I had no idea that I was going to have to have a background in executive function and, 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 and those kind of things. So all of this is a very touch and go thing for me. I'm learning as I do it. I'm, I'm trying to become better for my community. I am doing this as a necessity. This is not what I want. This is not a dream that I had. I did not dream about having to protect myself from my community and my government at 42 years of age. I had no idea that I was going to be standing out on the street fighting for my right to be black, fighting for my right to be trans. I had no idea any of those things were going to happen. So listening to this person, they would uh, swoop in and they would say all the all the right things. And then like they would use like needs against me like I needed clothes. I didn't I didn't have clothes. Oh, I'll take you shopping. Oh, I feel bad about you taking me shopping because like you're spending all this money on me and I feel obligated to do things for you because of it. Oh no, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about it. Fast forward uh, to literally like in the beginning of October. In the beginning of October, I was supposed to be looking at a van. Uh, long story short, I was uh, offered a ride to New York with this person. Uh, we get all the way to New York with this person. The van that I was supposed to be looking at was supposed to be held for me. I was supposed to come in here. I had an appointment. I walked in. Uh, they treated me like shit. Uh, they lied. They didn't have the vehicle. They literally did like a like a bait and switch just to get us to come in to try to get us to buy a luxury vehicle. And I was like, I don't need one of those. And I was bummed out. I should be bummed out about that because it's a very upsetting thing. I'm a trans person um, who has executive function disorders, um, synesthesia, and like I'm traumatized by things that have happened to me in the past, such as uh, sexual assaults and attacks that have happened. Uh, I don't spend a lot of my time outside. Specifically, I don't spend a lot of my time outside in a space that's unfamiliar. So after dealing with all of those things, we drove back to the city of Manhattan from Brooklyn and they wanted to go on a ferry ride. I didn't particularly want to do any of those things. I felt really anxious. I was in a lot of pain. I had hurt my back a couple of weeks beforehand. Um, I was in a lot of pain, but I was like, I'll tough whatever this is out. So we get to the ferry. I'm a pothead. I smoke marijuana to offset all my disabilities. Uh, so I have marijuana on me because we left the hotel that morning and I had no idea where we were going. So we get uh, to the ferry. Um, they tell me, hey, you can't take marijuana on the ferry because that's federal land. I'm like, oh, OK. Um, so I'm thinking they're going to go and come back. Um, so I was like, I'll just wait at the park. I'll just wait here at the park. And I thought like, all right, it'll be like a 40 minute trip. Like they'll go, they'll check it out. They'll come back. They were gone for three hours. So I was alone in a huge park in Manhattan by myself uh, with a hurt back. Um, I kept calling to ask like, Hey, like, so what's going on? I'm like, what's taking so long? And like, then after all of that, we end up like um, staying at the hotel. Like I was, I was upset, but I bit my tongue because I was like, hey, I was offered this ride to go here. I feel obligated to not be like the thorn in someone's side. Several times throughout the day, like there was like weird comments from this person's niece from another country who never had never been around trans people before. Nobody else caught it. So I just kind of let it slide. I just like kept my mouth shut and like I was uncomfortable and all of these things. And I was upset about these things on the ride home. I got like a pep talk because I was being negative. Um, I'm not allowed to have feelings 
is pretty much how I interpreted it. Um, I also had to speak to them about like how dangerous it is to just leave a trans person of color in the middle of New York City by themselves. Like I, I don't leave my home in Rochester by myself. I don't spend lots of time in, in large groupings by myself. So um, after the pep talk where like the transphobia that I deal with and the racism that I deal with here in Rochester was just kind of dismissed, I decided I was going to take a break from this person. I literally took a break from everyone. Um, when we got back to Rochester, I decided in that moment that I was going to take a day or two away from them to like just process my feelings because I was like, wait a minute, like this person says they're being helpful. This person says they're doing all these things for me. And then I took an inventory of what they're actually doing. One, what they were doing was they were telling me things that they never follow up, followed up on. Two, they have other misfit toys, uh, which She's also described us as wayward children, which is another description of what we might be. The second thing I noticed was that like a lot of the time she would talk to me about the other girls issues. Like she would out things that happened to these people to me. And it made me wonder, like, are you doing this to me as well? Like she told me about one girl situation where she was being assaulted and why she went to jail and uh, how much money she was lending her. Those kind of things would come up in conversation all the time. And it was always like she needed a pat on the back for being so nice to everyone. And it made me wonder, like, if that's happening to this person that she's known longer than me, then it has to be happening to me too, right? So that made that garnered a little bit more trepidation from me. So when I came back to Rochester, after we uh, sat in the garage, uh, like in a garage area and talked around the car for a, a bit, like about like how I felt, because uh, like we went, we stopped in a place to eat on the way home from New York that I was not welcome in and nobody noticed it but me. I was being watched the entire time. I was called sir several times. Like I was afraid to go to the bathroom because we were in a space that wasn't safe for me to go to the bathroom. There's laws in other states and we had to drive through another state for some reason to get home. Like we had to like leave New York, this weird route. I think we went through, uh, I'm not even sure anymore. I'm not even sure where we went through, but we went through literally like another state for like 40 minutes and we stopped in that 40 minutes to eat and nobody noticed that I was being discriminated against. Nobody noticed that like transphobia was definitely happening. They also did not notice that I was the only black person in the area. So nobody was really protective of me. I spent a lot of time alone in the lobby by myself. They all went to the bathroom together, but I didn't feel safe enough to go in there because we were being watched. So I kind of like couldn't go to the bathroom, couldn't do all these things. So I held like having to go to the bathroom for like six hours we get back to Rochester we have the discussion in the parking lot uh, I told her about how I felt in the restaurant and it was dismissed oh they wouldn't have treated you that way you don't fucking know that one uh, you don't know what transphobia feels like or looks like because you never have to deal with it um, you don't know what racism is like because you don't have to deal with it so being dismissive of those things is a fucking red flag and if you care as much as you say you do you would one, follow through in the things that you say and two, be more aware of my safety when you're around me. If you're my friend, if you care about me, you should be worried about how I'm perceiving things and then help me navigate those things. Like not dismiss them because you don't believe it happens because you're some privileged white woman. Like 
it, it it's very maddening to me that I had to deal with those things seemingly on my fucking own. So after I got home uh, from the drive, which took about 20 minutes to get from her space to my space in Rochester, uh, the, the drive home, I decided I needed a break from that person. I then, by hope's chance, because I'm a witch and I, and I try to believe that the, the universe is going to take care of me. Mind you, I've been through a lot of things that would make a person pessimistic. I kept my mind open. At two, three o'clock in the morning, I see the bus that I currently own in the marketplace of Facebook. I literally contact the person at that moment in the middle of the night. We have a 45 minute conversation about this bus that I was told I would not be able to purchase because my dream was too big by the person who says they are my confidant, my mentor, the person I can look up to, uh, an ally. They gave me all these bullshit reasons why what I was looking for might have not been, have been uh, enough. Like I was looking for something that I was, was out of reach. I literally found this thing, had the 45 minute conversation, talked to this person, set up the time where I was going to be meeting them, called my brother and sister the very next morning, asked them, hey, is one of you uh, willing to go to Denver with me? Uh, we got on a plane to Denver, like my, my brother, Andrew, uh, Prince Prickery, you've heard him on the show before. No questions asked, like took time and like left with me to go to Denver. Uh, we, we get to Denver. We see the bus. We check it out. We talk to the builder. Shout out to Schooly Steve. Um, we, t we talk to Schooly Steve about it. Uh, there's some things that need to be finished, a little bit of trim on the floor. Maybe the door might, might, might need to be changed because I live in New York and that door is an electronic door that's not really insulated for wintertime. Um, so everything else is insulated. The door is not. So I'm figuring out, oh, I can get that done when I get back to New York. We drive it back 29 hours. 29 hours. I call, I let them know, oh, I got the bus. Oh, I'm so happy for you. We'll make plans. I'll see it um, this day. They didn't show up. Then we redid the plans. They said they were going to come and check it out again. They didn't show up. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm being punished because I have an opinion because that's what it felt like. Every time I had an opinion that didn't match with this person's opinion, then all of a sudden I was ungrateful and all these other character flaws would come up about me. Any otherwise, I'm a champion. I'm a hero. I'm the speaker of the, of the, of the voiceless. I'm all of these things that I've been told by this person. But the minute I question something that they might not either see or be doing or just like blatantly asking questions that have to do specifically with my symptoms. Once again, um, a neurodivergent with synesthesia who has processing issues. So wait a minute. I want to make sure I'm hearing what I'm hearing all the time. So fast forward to this week. The door on my bus still has not been fixed. I'm trying to find people to fix it. I'm trying to find like if there's like a carpenter who would know how to hang a door because it's a very easy process. I just don't know how to technically do it myself. I've watched videos on it. I don't have the tools to make it happen. So I was like, man, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to fit the bill, pay some money out and get this done professionally. So it's done right. So I don't damage my bus. All right. So. We already had an issue with my toilet. My toilet needed to be installed. I asked this person that we are now speaking about, the white savior that we are speaking about. The toilet needed to be put in so I can move into the bus immediately. The plans for me to move into my bus immediately were moved back solely because I don't have internet and I didn't have the toilet installed. So what I was told by this person was, oh yeah, we can. I can have somebody look at it this week. So then I called because they didn't call me about it and I asked, hey, um, can you get in touch with those people? Oh, they're back up so it's going to be a few weeks now when I heard a few weeks it was like oh so you told me that you were going to do this thing you knew that I wanted it done 
and I needed it done within a couple of weeks to make it hell to make my plans happen. Fine. My plans aren't that important to you. So I'm, I guess I'm just going to have to wait or look for a way to finish it myself. That's not me being pessimistic. That's me being realistic. Me not trusting white people to keep their word because up to this point, 90% of them have it. So this person uh, oh yeah, I'll get in touch with them and I'll talk to you when I can. They never messaged me back about it. So I went and I did it. Me and my friend did it ourselves. We did as good a job as we can do. It came out well. That's fine. I'm great with that. So now it's the same situation. I ask, um, Hey, I know it's late. Um, this just came to my mind. Hey, uh, do you know of anyone who could hang a door? You say you're connected, you're an interior designer, you know all these people, you're constantly telling me you're connected to these people. Like, cause that's the thing, that's a theme that's going on here. There's constantly these things being told to me that aren't a hundred percent true. When we first started talking about the bus before I bought this one, I own another bus. What I was told was, oh, we'll raise the money for it. We'll figure out a way. We'll talk to some people, we'll get this money rolling in. This all relied on her plan to buy houses in black neighborhoods to buy four houses, I mean, four family houses and make money off of those. So basically becoming landlords, real estate agents that become landlords. Everybody remember, I fucking hate landlords, right? Everybody knows that I fucking can't stand a landlord. So I'm asking questions again. I'm like, hey, wait a minute. So do you mean that we're going to do like a fundraiser? Like, a, like, are we going to do like a GoFundMe? Are we going to be doing this? That all relied on me. But I already did a GoFundMe and nobody cared about it. So then out of the blue, I was asked to join this group of benevolent white women that dated back to the fucking 1800s for some reason. I was like, oh, OK, I, I guess this fits the bill of getting me out there or making me a speaker, I was immediately treated like shit upon entering this place. I'm going to name that place because I can. It's the AAUW. So my first time there, I was told by a white lesbian that was about 70, 80 years old that she understands the plight of trans people and she's seen it all before. So she kind of like dismissed what I had to say. And it happened in front of this savior who allowed it, said absolutely nothing about it in front of me. There's always this turmoil, but it's nothing done about it in front of me. When it happens in front of them, no one does anything. That is the third mark of a white savior. They are all lip service and no action. So I was asked to join this group. After being asked to join this group, I realized that it was another thing where black people were being brought in and tokenized. This group supposedly has all these programs that help women. Uh, from my understanding, I'm the only trans woman of color who has ever been a member of this group. And I don't even think I'm a member. I think I was somehow a member of another group because you have to be a college graduate, which is also a credential barrier, which is racist, which is racist. Um, that being said, it was always these issues where things would be said to me and then there was absolutely no follow through. Oh, we're going to look into this. We're going to get money. We're going to do this. We're going to do a fundraiser. We're going to do something. So I was out here trying, like trying. I helped, um, I helped with some, um, uh, how would I say like they were like task like I wasn't given a job per se but I was told that these things needed to be done for an organization that they were already working on and I was paid to do it so what I would do is I would fill in these things on a spreadsheet and I got paid for it that went on for about three weeks before I was like this is 
getting me nowhere. I have no idea what I'm doing this for. I have no idea what's happening with the information that I'm giving. So I just kind of stopped because I was like, until I get like actual an actual education on how this works, I'm not going to do anymore. No, it was never spoke of again, ever. Like, and I was like, that's weird that it was never brought up again. So it was busy work for me. I then had to meet another one of the misfit toys. And when I met her, I realized that a lot of her life mirrored mine. So this person was just attracted to keeping people like us around. So it makes them kind of look good. They're always working with us. They're always doing these things for us. But at the same time, we're going to go back to number two. When I said, and number two is this person was constantly outing the lifestyles or the, the traumas that happened to other people, like kind of placing like trauma porn out at the table for everybody to notch on. So it was just kind of maddening that I thought I would have to like sit with this person who obviously had a problem with me and that was never addressed again, transphobia and racism, not being addressed in front of this person. I had to tell him like, Oh, she didn't act like she liked me. She didn't want to talk to me. We were supposed to be working together. We weren't like the next day, like some weird shit happened with that girl. So she had a falling out uh, with this person and that girl, uh, they went through some shit. And like the whole story was turned on her. She was made the aggressor. But then I heard how it went down and I heard the same tone of voice that I had to deal with. It was lots of dismissals and it was lots of like, oh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not that bad. You just have to do what I fucking tell you. She literally said that you just have to do what I fucking tell you. And when I heard that, I was like, I am definitely dealing with a white savior. I'm dealing with someone who wants to like shine us up and make us look new to tout it for themselves. They want the clout of, of, of making people of taking you from the dirt and making you something different. I want to say this unabashed, unequivocally, everything that I am today is because of me. It's because I never gave up. Even when I wanted to, I never gave up. It's because I never lost sight of my goals. Even when I felt like they were unattainable, I never lost sight of them. I let nobody talk me out of them. I let nobody talk me out of getting that bus. I let nobody talk me out of starting a show. I let nobody uh, uh, talk me out of the topics that I talk about. I let my, I never let my friends talk me out of being who I am. I don't let my family talk me out of my name. I don't let anybody talk about me outside of, of, who, of who I am. I don't let anyone disrespect me so fast forward to this week i asked about the carpentry for the door uh i asked it about 12 o'clock at night i was like all right this person will just message me back when they're awake the next day four o'clock in the morning i get a oh, good morning cameron and blah 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 and i'm like yes uh good morning i i hadn't slept at that point because i was working on the show currently um I was like, hey, like, I was just wondering if you had a carpenter. And then they started suggesting all these things that weren't a carpenter. And I, like I said, processing issues. I'm looking at a message. I can't see your face. So I can't see what the context is of what you're saying. So I'm just kind of confused. I'm like, oh, like, well, I, I did you call Ari? Yeah, I already called ARI. I already called them. And uh, they only deal with van doors. They don't do exterior doors. Uh, that's how I, that's how I typed it. I, there was no malice behind it. They don't do exterior doors. Oh, well, did you, um, did you go to AutoZone? AutoZone doesn't 
sell exterior doors. It's a door, like a house door, not a car door, not a bus door, not a van door, an exterior door. Oh, well, why don't you just like call um, the person you bought it from? Because they live in Denver and they don't know any carpenters in New York. They've never been to New York. Now, obviously, you guys are all like thinking the same thing I'm thinking. Those are just answers, right? I'm just answering back. I'm just saying the things that are most likely the most truthful because I'm autistic. I'm I'm being literal. Oh, no, that that's not a possibility because calling him, how would I call the builder in Denver to ask about a door in New York? Uh, am I to assume that you want me to drive the 29 hours back to Denver to have a door put on? That would cost more money than it would to have the door done here. Now, I didn't say all of those things in the message. I literally was just like, oh, but he lives in Denver and doesn't know anyone here. So then uh, I was told like, oh, well, carpenters don't, they only work with wood. I was like, I know that. And the door, the wooden frame for the door can be anchored to the metal inside of my bus. Like that's how the walls got put up. That's how the floor got put in. It was wood being drilled into metal. That's how that's how it works. Now, once again, processing issues, neurodivergent person takes things literally like all of a sudden I get a message back. Well, good luck with finding out how to do this with that energy. What energy are you talking about specifically? So when I asked, what does that mean for clarification? Because I'm neurodivergent, I was told I have a bad attitude and a woe is me complex. How the fuck? Do I have a woe is me com- complex when I'm always out here getting shit done almost primarily by myself? Mind you, it's Christmas Eve right now. And normally a person will be sitting around sad about being by themselves. I'm by myself all the time. I'm currently by myself recording this episode. So technically I'm with all of you. You won't hear this until next week, but I'm spending time with you on the holidays. Um, Merry Christmas. So to be told that, is an instance of me once again hearing that I have character flaws because I have an opinion. When I come up with a thing that's an opinion, all of a sudden I'm all these bad things and I have a bad attitude because I'm doing the exact same thing that you pat me on the back for constantly. For one, seeking the truth. For two, being transparent. For three, if I don't understand something, asking. So that's pretty much what happened. But I was a terrible person and all these other fucking things for just asking a fucking question, guys. Just asking a question. And I'll say this to you. Everybody thinks that I'm I'm zoning in on a specific person. If you listen to this episode, you will hear lots of traits that you have personally seen in white saviors. They always swoop in with these grandiose ideas that they never follow through on. They always take a hell of time to get these things done. To this day, I do not know the status of Dinsmore Park. The first time it was brought up in a conversation and I was told that it would be a space that I could use was a year ago. A year ago. Now, if I bring it up, I'm the dickhead, right? If I say something about it, I'm the dickhead because I I must be standing there with my hands out. Like I'm not willing to do some kind of work for these things, but I've always been willing to do this work. I've just never been told to. You buy dinners, you buy, you take people out to these things. And it's all this idea that you get to like do that. So you could throw it in a person's face. 
uh, the first time something was thrown in my face was the New York trip. When I came back from the New York trip, I was told uh, that I had an attitude because I checked her for dismissing racism that I witnessed, that I went through, for dismissing transphobia that I witnessed and I went through. And what she said was, I said, I never asked you to drive me to New York to do that to me. And she said, well, I did all of this for you. I did this for you. I, I, I take you out to eat. I buy you this. I bought you clothes. You did all those things so you could throw them in my face is why you did them. You, you offer to pay for things all the time is why, is why you did it. You do that so you can throw it in my face. Now, every person who has had to deal with some kind of white savior has dealt with something on that level. If it's not monetary, it's their time. They think that if they're pushing for the Black Lives Matter movement, and, and they're called out on something small instead of taking accountability for it. They throw what they've done for the community in your face. Those are parallel. As I got, like I said, as you're looking through, if you're listening to this episode, you will hear lots of traits that are parallel with the white like savior that you've had to deal with in your life. I'm going to tell you something. Don't believe the things that you hear in that moment when they show you who they are. Because they've always thought those things of you. They just didn't have a reason to say anything about it until they were backed into a corner. Now, instead of asking me, like, what specifically are you looking for or just saying, I don't know anyone. What I got was a lot of dismissal, a lot of you didn't look through this, a lot of, well, what about this thing that has absolutely nothing to do with it? And you're talking to a person who takes things literally. So when I said, I'll just take care of it myself, like I did with the, with the toilet, that's literally what I meant. I'll just take care of it myself. I did the toilet on my own. I can do this on my own. But before I was allowed to expound on that, I was told that I was being mean and that like I, I'm, I'm always I always have to be right. I don't understand where that comes up because we've never had a conversation where that has had to happen. Because normally what I do is I sit there and I listen to her problems, her bitch about other people's problems to me. And I don't really offer a lot in the means of advice or things uh, or, or, or my gist on things because it's not my way. It's not my way to talk about somebody else's existence. One, I don't have all the information. Two, it's not my business to talk about. Three, like I'm just going to nod up and down because at the end of the day, like I, the processing issue that I have doesn't allow me to understand things that don't make sense. If it doesn't make sense and I need context, if I have to ask for context, then I shouldn't be talking to you about somebody else's problem. I should be talking to that person. The issue I have is that this is not the first time that I've had to deal with white savior complex. It's not. But it's it, it and it's not it doesn't hurt me as much as it used to because I expected it right off the jump. I'm going to have my sister on uh, Tracy. And I'm going to have her on uh, in another episode really soon. And I'm going to bring this situation up again. Me and Tracy. Have a bond where like she can see where I'm going through some kind of trepidation. And every time that I've had a conversation about these things that aren't like follow through on, she's like. Like, no, that wasn't wrong. That wasn't wrong of you to ask that. That wasn't wrong of you to ask, like, to say that. Like, this, that situation needed that. It was needed. Mind, like, reminding everybody that I, like, I literally have sometimes a processing issue 
where I'm like, am I hearing this right? Am I reading too much in it? Is there enough information for me to figure this out? I still to this day don't understand where she, where her insults came from because they were made up things that she said the same things to the other girl. She said the same things to the other girl, except for this time as Tranos, uh, using this power that everybody knows that I have, I stepped up to the plate and was like, you will not speak to me that way. That is not anchored in truth. It is not a reality. You took something that like you, you read and instead of asking me what I met, you turn it into me having a bunch of character flaws. And that's typically what you do. It's not the first time you did it. It's the second time you did it. And before there's a third, I'm going to leave the conversation. So I tried to leave the conversation three times. Uh, once again, a white savior. I can't leave until I'm dismissed. They have to la have the last word. So they just rambled on and on about these character defects that I didn't even bother to read because fuck you. That's why. I didn't bother to read those things because I don't believe anything that comes out of your mouth because you don't know me. You know uh, that I was black. You knew that I was trans. You knew that I had trauma. And I shared a lot of that stuff with you thinking that I could trust you, finding out on the end that I could not. So at the end of the day, I blocked the motherfucker. I blocked the motherfucker from seeing my shit on Facebook. You can still call me. You're still going to be able to hear the show. And I don't give a shit about that. I'm probably going to unblock you on Facebook because there's no fear in the things that I'm saying. This is a lesson that you should learn. People have told you the same thing that I'm telling you now. And I defended you because I didn't believe those things to be true until I saw them myself. And that you always should believe the, your inner being. You should always believe your gut. Any white woman from Pittsburgh who wants to travel into the city to spend time around brown people is primarily after money and clout. Because at the end of the day, they don't take you seriously. You're not allowed to have any feelings outside. Um, you're not allowed to be uncomfortable with them. You're not allowed to tell them things that they've done that made you uncomfortable. You're not allowed to question them. When you do, they say smart mouth shit to you and they tear down your character. I'm letting you know the shit that they say ain't real. It's not real. None of it is. And with that being said, I know I've been running off at the mouth for a couple of minutes. So we're going to do what I normally do at this period of time because I'm a little bit fucking verklept. I'm going to smoke some weed. So if you hear click, click, uh, fire, fire and all that other shit, some coughing, grow up. I smoke weed. Let's go. Oh, shit. Merry Christmas. So. Gaslighting is the number one weapon of the white savior. Uh, acts of service is the second. Subterfuge is the third. So when you're sitting here and you're listening to this person tear you down, you have to take into account. Have they been thinking these things about me since the beginning? And why didn't they say something about it? Two, has every kind act been kind? If they use it in their argument to tear you down, no, it's all a ploy to soften you up. So the first time you say, I disagree, or you say, that was wrong what you did, 
or you say, I feel, they'll throw it in your face because you're not allowed to be a human being to them. You're a project. That's what I was. It's even started arguments with, their, with this person's own family where they were told that they take on too many projects. Projects in lieu of people. Because white privileged people don't see traumatized brown people and urban people as people. They're projects to be worked on. And they know how to tell. They know how to get us to the other side of trauma. They know how to get us to triumph because they've obviously been through something, right? You try to find a common ground with these people. And what you what you end up finding is that they're trying to one up you. They're trying to one up your trauma. Oh, this thing happened to you yet yeah, also happened to me. So I've been there. I know what it's like. No, you don't. You don't know what it's like to be a black woman. You don't know what it's like to be a trans black woman. You don't know what it's like to be a trans black woman alone in this world. You don't know those things. And for all the fucking woe is me and like, oh, the victim complex, which white women should, white women and men should really stop using that term in conversation with brown people. It's going to get you fucked up. Like it's going to get you fucked up. You're not in a position to talk about either one of those things. You're not in a position to tell a person that what they went through, uh, they should be over with by now. Mind you, you don't know the progress that I've made as a person. You don't know that that sometimes that I don't sleep at night because I still see uh, scenes of attack. And then I get up every morning and do everything over again and then fight for sleep. You don't know that I spend almost every holiday alone and I don't cry about it. Because there's no tears left to cry. You don't know that I yearn for a companion, but I'm fearful of the outside because you don't have to live through that. But I do. And if you think that it's a woe is me or victim complex that I survive daily, knowing the things that have happened to me, knowing the things that the degree of trauma that's happened to me and the things that it's caused in my life, the issues that it caused in my life that I'm constantly working on, that you're not there for. You don't get to talk to me about a woe is me or a victim complex, bitch. Everyone on this planet has their own problems, but I'm not everyone. I'm Cameron. I'm Tranos. And there ain't no book on how to deal with this. But what I'm providing today is a talk, a TED talk on how to deal with privileged fucking white saviors. Come down from your fucking tower, asshole. You don't get to look at my life through your blue eyes and tell me how to do it. Over something as small as like me being like, hey, uh, AutoZone doesn't place doors, exterior house doors on vehicles they don't even and they don't even install anything they deal with batteries and they sell car parts what the fuck are you talking about this is not a plug for AutoZone fuck them um this is also not cocaine for the people who are watching at home it's a Vicks vapor inhaler because I have allergies and instead of using allergy medicine I just kind of use Vicks um I just think that I'm really upset about the friendship ending that way, but I'm not surprised. All the signs were there and for desperation and needing someone other than to, to lean on other than my brother and sister, 
I was like, oh, I made a new friend. But what I really made was a person who was willing to pray on me, to pray on my community. Literally another instance where something was said where I was like, whoa, that was a little weird. Well, uh, I want to sell and I want to be in the black market for these houses, but I can't get in because I'm not black. And that's where you come along. What? There's this pressure to become a real estate agent. Like I was taking the courses and I decided to stop because I don't want to work for a person who doesn't listen to my dreams. I don't want to work for a person who dismisses my ideas or in lieu will steal them. To this day, no money has been raised for my van by this person. To this day, nothing, no issue that's happened with the AAUW has been resolved or listened to. To this day, I'm not allowed to have a feeling of umbrage with them because like they're the cool white people, I guess. My toilet got put in by itself and the door for my bus is going to be put on by itself. I mean, that's what I, that's what was going to happen. It's not that I'm upset about it is that you said otherwise, like, and I'm not talking about the door. I'm talking about like things in general, all those things in general, besides the door, you were like, Oh, we'll take care of it. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. It's like these large grandiose ideas. And then here's the fucked up part about it. Like other people have told me, Oh, you need to watch out for her. And I was like, no, she's a great person. You guys just don't know. And I, I dismissed what they said. So this is my karma for dismissing them not going with my gut not listening to what the community was telling me hearing them out people that like i'm like ethically know but i'm not supposed to know about their personal lives we have this meeting of those people and like you're telling me their business you're telling me about their life you're telling me all these things you're doing the same thing to me you're doing the same thing to me. And then I'm supposed to feel bad about calling you out on it. I don't feel bad at all. Everything you said I am, I'll be those things. I'm fine with it. It's transparent is what I wanted to convey. I want to convey it now that if I look back on it and I take off the desperation of needing a friend, it was you praying on that. It's what it really comes down to. It was you praying on that and it was the, the flags were everywhere. The flags for, for this happening were everywhere. And I'm just glad that I didn't invest any more time in your plan to tokenize me. Please stop telling people my background. Sharing with a person that I've been sexually assaulted is you outing me and further traumatizing me. Sharing with a person that I've dealt with discrimination that you don't believe exists is not only hypocritical, but it's real laissez-faire of a white woman to just go and do some shit like that. Don't forget who you're speaking to. As much as you be like, you might be able to like manipulate those other girls. You can't do that shit to me. You can't talk down to me. That's why I told you go fuck yourself. And if if we were ever to talk again, I would say the same thing. Go fuck yourself because. I don't have to be upset about after about this after today, because what happens after today is what karma wills. That's why I don't have a woe is me complex. That's why I don't have a victim complex, because my earthly mother's name was Patricia. Well, my spiritual mother's name is karma. And every time somebody does some shit like what you did, karma takes care of them. I don't have to lift a finger. I believe that wholeheartedly. 
I believe that's what's protected me this long. That's what's kept me alive this long is that karma watches over me because I'm worthy. Because I've withstand things that you can't imagine and I'm still here is because I walk through every day knowing that people despise my existence and I don't fear them. You can't give me a weak character flaw because I am not a weak person. Don't take credit for the things that I've done. And this year you've done nothing but bought dinners and clothes that don't fit. That's what you've done. You've made promises that you don't keep. You've dismissed experiences that I was in the midst of having. You were looking out for yourself. And every once in a while, when you felt bad about it, you would buy some dumplings or you would buy pants or you would buy a rug that I can't use. We'll do this and we'll do that and we'll do this and we'll do that. All the battles I've had to fight since I met you, I had to fight on my own. I know you're fucking listening to this and I want you to sit with what I have to say. You did no damage to me. You only showed who you actually are. And at the end of the day, that's all white saviors can do. You, you take up people's time. Is the, you're, you're a waste of time at the end of the day, a waste of energy and nothing more. I guarantee you when I put down this mic and I turn off these cameras, I will think about you no more. Karma has you tight in her grasp. And what she does to you, I'll allow. Straight up. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm. Everybody says new year, new me. No, there doesn't have to be anything new about me. I'm going to stay on this grind that I've been on. I'm going to make this show pop. I'm going to make NQO pop. I'm going to make my bus my home, my comfortable home that I fought for. I'm going to put my nose down for my community and I'm going to continuously stand up to white problematics. I don't need you as a friend. I don't need those kinds of friends. How long have we been talking on this shit? I think I might need to hit my pipe again. Fucking with you, your goofy ass. So it's been about 53 minutes. That's like 23 minutes longer than I talk. So I think I got a little bit of the beast out of my system. Uh, so with that being said, shout out to white saviors who ain't worth a damn. Shout out to problematics who use us as a crutch. Shout out to collectors. Community collectors, you swoop down on downtrodden communities and you act like you're UNICEF, but UNICEF is crooked. What was the name of that? Like that priest lady with the, with the weird mascara? Yeah, just Google that. Google what I just said and you'll figure out what I'm talking about. You're a Tammy Faye. The Tammy Faye of white women. You swoop into these communities, you promise them all of these things. And then you tout it to your to your rich friends and sit in your posh spaces. And, ha 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 ha! I helped this person and I helped this person. And if you see, they listen to me and look how much better they're doing. You can't do that to me. I did all of this on my own without you. Were you peppering your promises in and out of that? So take that for what it's worth. I don't miss you. I hope no other brown person trusts you enough. And the ones in Rochester will hear this and know exactly who I'm speaking of, because, like I said, I heard your name in our community before and I and I and I defended you. 
I'm going to tell those people that they were right. So with that being said, this has been Trenos and the Lived Experience. I'm your host, Cambrayin Eline Maharet Jarrell. Say my name with your whole chest, or I will sick karma's vengeance upon you. This is Trenos and the Lived Experience, the show that says, fuck white saviors, all white saviors. Even Danny Tanner.